Good morning, day or night, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the Surviving the Drive podcast. Today we are discussing the Japanese Grand Prix. This is your favorite source of American-based F1 conversation, presented by me, Alex, and my co-host, Tyler. Let's race into it. So, Alex, what did you think about that uh, half a race? I mean, it was, I, it was probably the most disappointing race of the season. I'd say I think I had... I think both of us had high expectations coming in for the race itself. It's a great track and first time back since 2019 and a lot of excitement around it. And, you know, getting 28 laps and only, uh, you know, for us here in the United States, like having to wait for it to start till one and then having it to wait to start until like three o'clock actually yeah. in the morning when it really began and then having only be 28 laps was pretty disappointing. And then it was so wet and like the conditions were so wild that like other than, you know, a few pits at the beginning that kind of shuffled the order around, it really was a consistent race and there really wasn't that much many that many overtakes yeah definitely excited to watch it and then yeah just kind of never really got off the ground but uh we did eventually have about half race distance yeah uh, and much longer than three hours but uh we'll take what we can get and still some decent action there and uh i think we can get into some pretty interesting topics throughout this this episode but why don't we jump into the finishing order yeah, so I'll go ahead and run through the finish order here. So we had uh, Max in P1. We had Perez P2 after the penalty for Leclerc, who finished in P3 to round out the podium. Uh, and then we had Ocon, Hamilton, Vettel, Alonso, Russell, Latifi, and Norris rounding out the points. And then just outside the points, we had Ricardo, Stroll, Sonoda, Magnussen, Bada, Zoe, Mick, and Gasly rounding out the finishers. Yeah, and then only two DNFs this weekend. We had Carlos Sainz, who... Uh, just lost it on the first lap and went into the wall and had a pretty precarious situation where he was sitting after retiring. And then we also had Alexander Albon, who uh, had engine troubles and pulled off around the same time. So uh, a couple of unfortunate races for them. I know Sainz was up there in third after qualifying pretty well and probably hoping for a lot more points than that. Yeah, definitely a, a disappointing weekend from him in the end. But uh, let's go ahead and dive into quality then, I guess, to start. So uh, kind of unlike the rest of the weekend, quality was dry, which mm-hmm. was uh, kind of interesting to see that I feel like a lot of times you'll have where you maybe get a wet quality and then a dry race, but uh, kind of got the opposite this time where we had a, just a normal qualifying as it kind of went ex- we would expect it to go and then uh, the wet race. But in terms of quality, you know, you had your, your typical front runners at the top. You had, you know, Max, Charles, and Sainz kind of rounding out that top three and Perez not far behind in fourth. Um a great weekend qualifying-wise for Alpine, finishing and uh, qualifying in fifth and seventh. Yeah, uh, they definitely were on the pace this weekend, and definitely like I think looked a lot better than than last weekend, and made the step back on McLaren this weekend, which was good to see. But yeah, definitely a, a really good weekend from them, and it came out in qualifying. They weren't looking too good in the wet, and then the dry quality, they were able to to pick it up and really have some pace, and really continued that into the wet race, which was. Uh, you know, good for them, especially in that battle for P4 in the Constructors' Championship. But uh, let's go ahead and dive into the race after, you know, pretty standard qualifying session. I would say, you know, nothing too exciting. I think, you know, Vettel getting through was was pretty great Great to see. Yeah. The Mercedes uh, didn't really have the pace. And then Max and Charles. I think the one thing to note, I guess, is that it was just such a tight qualifying session oh, yeah. all the way through. I think it was Point oh one seconds between the top two and qualifying and just really a tight field spread yeah i think in general too i forget what the spread ended up being in the end but for most of qualifying through the end of q3 the entire field that was whoever was participating in that session of qualifying was all pretty close yeah kind of more abnormally close than 
than you typically would have. I know a lot of times you'll have, and maybe even Q3, where the people that are ninth or 10th will finish a second and a half, 1.7 seconds down even then, but pretty tight field all day in qualifying. So that was good to see, kind of see some competitiveness, competitiveness. And then, you know, at the top, especially at, you know, a tenth of a second between Max and Charles, like that's, I think, the closest pull, pull difference we had this year. So yeah. it was definitely an exciting qualifying. But in terms of the order itself and how it shook out through each session, it was pretty, pretty typical. Yeah, definitely. And then overnight we had Gasly who qualified in 17th. He was having some brake troubles throughout qualifying, but they decided to put a new rear wing on the car, um, trying to set it up for more of a wet race and paid off for him a little bit, I guess, uh, with the wet race being just that on Sunday. But, you know, Gasly's still not able to make up many positions throughout the race. Uh, but he did end up starting instead of uh, 17th from the pit lane. So, we started with that order and got into uh, Sunday morning, and everything was lined up good, and there was a lot of questions around inters, full wets, uh, what the visibility was going to be like, and a lot of people predicting some chaos in turn one. Yeah, I think, you know, as soon as they you know, they showed the grid there at the beginning for the formation lap, we saw a lot of spray. Uh, it was big, you know, 2021 vo- spa vibes from last year where just no visibility for anybody except the guy that was in P1 because just so much spray, and um that's what we saw you know when lights went out right at the beginning uh you could not see anything beyond i know you know charles had a good getaway mm-hmm. kind of got in the inside of max and you i remember like the visual of seeing their two cars and then you just there might as well have been no cars behind them because you yeah. could not see anyone behind them at all mm-hmm. uh and then when we saw some of the onboards ultimately i mean no one could see anything yeah so it was a good start by charles though i think he you know got alongside him but on the inside but couldn't hold it i'm mean, actually had a little more traction out of that into, into turn one but uh, outside of Charles, he had great starts from Stroll as well. Um, I think he went from 19th all the way up to near the points, I think, like 11th or 12th. Um, yeah. Ricardo went from 11th up to 8th. Uh, so a great start from him as well. And then Ocon, you know, he was in 5th and just kind of held it there and was able to hold off Hamilton. Because I definitely thought at the beginning Hamilton would get the jump on him. Usually a great starter and would get ahead and kind of lock it down from there. But Ocon had a great start as well. Yeah, I think one thing to point out is you know, with all that spray and such low visibility, the, just the bravery of these drivers, you know, pedal to the middle oh, yeah. going into, to, into turn one, which isn't a huge braking zone, but, you know, carrying that pace through that corner with absolutely no sight, you know, stroll in particular, he went on the inside pit lane wall was really tucked up in there and found a lot of grip was able to, to get past quite a few people and a, just a really interesting and awesome onboard to watch. Yeah. Strolls was wild. I mean, he was inches away from crashing out i think into the wall yeah but yeah great start from him it was definitely like you said i think it's it's amazing to see like when they have these wet starts where they can't see anything like these drivers just have no fear and just continue to drive like they normally would because yeah i mean i can't even imagine being in a spot like that where you literally are in an open seat race car and you can't see absolutely anything in front of you at all but yeah. white basically yeah it's kind of impressive i know there's been you know, throughout YouTube videos of different drivers and stuff, and especially over COVID when we got to see a little bit more of, you know, drivers on the simulators. We've, we heard about some drivers that would be able to do an entire circuit, like, blindfolded, just because it's that yeah. it's that down. And, and so Yeah, it's that, uh, that was, I think it was from Drivers Survive with Gasly, where he's got, like, the band or whatever, and mm-hmm. he's, like, mentally going through the exact turns. And then I saw a video the other day where they, overlaid that with like the actual sound of his car driving on that track and it he literally 
nailed it nailed it exactly how you would drive in the lab so that is really impressive yeah it's pretty cool and interesting and also terrifying to think that they're actually doing that yeah throughout, throughout a race so, yeah uh unfortunately from uh from stroll's perspective his teammate wasn't able to have as good of a start uh, vettel ended up you know starting in ninth after a really good qualifying he wasn't able to take advantage off the jump and uh ended up getting a little bit onto the the white paint on the left side and uh, almost touching the grass with his, the left side of his car and then ended up turning in uh, just right into Alonzo. And oddly, really no reaction from Alonzo's car. I mean, you could barely tell that yeah. that Vettel had totally turned in on him. And then Vettel obviously ended up uh, spinning out and uh, dropping to the back of the field. Yeah, I couldn't believe how we talk about how unlucky Alonzo's been this year, which he has been, but... That was very lucky of him not to also spin. Yeah. Because uh, where he was, when Vettel spun, he was kind of on the left side of the track and just kind of spun to the you know the grass off off onto the side and didn't really hit anybody. But mm-hmm. you know, Alonso, that would have been a big accident had he spun there. Yeah. And the fact that his car just didn't react at all was I don't know super lucky and super weird to see at the same time because Vettel did hit him pretty decently. So. Yeah, could have been could have been really bad and also you know upper middle part of the pack there and yeah, uh, I'm sure would have caused some downstream effects pretty quickly, but. Uh, after we got through turn one, we ended up having a couple more incidents. Um, Albon had the engine issues, ended up having to pull off and really just trying to get out of the way because there's no visibility at that point. Yeah, it's a you know just trying to survive by getting off of the racing line or off of the track because yeah. nobody nobody can see where you are anyway. Uh, Joe ended up spinning kind of on his own, which was a little unfortunate to see. Uh, and then the big one was signs crashing, uh, really just losing grip entirely and and spinning it around going into the wall and then uh, like we briefly mentioned earlier ending up in a pretty unfortunate position kind of in the middle of I mean nose sticking out into the middle of the track which was yeah uh, very dangerous and completely lost I didn't completely lose it but his rear wing completely broke too so yeah he was done in their way regardless as soon as it happened but yeah he that one was a little weird because I know they all um didn't have grip and stuff, but yeah, he just lost it on, it wasn't like he was trying to overtake, like he was just by himself, no one really on either side of him, and it wasn't, I I think he just like got up on the curb a little bit and just completely lost it. Yeah, he said after the race that he was trying to get out of the spray a little bit to see and ended up just kind of in a puddle of standing water and just absolutely lost it, and you know, it's, it's tough to see, I think for him especially, a lot of people think back to Australia when he had the unfortunate incident beaching it in the gravel but I think this one was kind of just a product of the wet race and a really yeah. unfortunate wet patch that he ended up uh, digging himself into yeah definitely a, a tough tough way to end his race too you know he was p3 and maybe could have done something we don't we'll never know but I think you know him and we saw it right at the beginning just chaos right we saw Joe spinning we saw signs you know spinning and crashing we saw the Vettel spin uh, and then Gasly, um, you know, comes out of the pit lane and then through all this carnage, everything that happens and kind of everything that went down, ends up picking up one of the Rolex signs, yeah. which was kind of a funny visual driving around the track because all this chaos and stuff had happened. He was obviously kind of way behind because of where he started in the pit lane. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it, you know, it goes to a yellow flag at this point for a safety car. And then they finally show Gasly's car, and he's just got this giant sign in the front of his car. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, well, where did that come from? Like, Because he wasn't even anywhere near anybody. But that one was kind of funny to see because he literally – it was like a giant front wing, basically. Like, he just dragged it around the track, and no matter what he did, it would not come off his wing. 
Yeah, and that's where where you kind of get concerned about the visibility. Obviously, we saw like Hamilton's on board, who was behind signs and yeah. uh, just narrowly missed him. But Gasly, even so far behind, probably had a little more visibility than the people right along in the pack, and he yeah. still ended up picking up just that big piece of debris. So, yeah, kind of threw a wrench in his early plans. He ended up pitting again, going to the full wets uh, and getting rid of that. And then um, another unfortunate event occurred for him uh, in his outlap after that uh, under the safety car and then subsequent red flag. But yeah. I think maybe we hold off on, on that talk yeah, we until can, later. Yeah, we can go into that later, yeah. Go into the FIA. But, uh, yeah, obviously red flag was thrown and kind of a mutual decision between obviously they got to clean up Sainz's car uh, and also the rain was coming down a little harder. Yeah, I think it kind of I in the moment I get it, right? I think overall I don't really understand why the race was started and they were on enters and then they're like, Oh, it's fine, it's on enters now, but now it's too much rain, like five minutes later. Yeah. Um oh and we'll get into that later with how long it was actually delayed. I think that's more where my, my gripes are, but I think the it was a good call at the time because you had debris on the track, you had signs stuck there. You had Albon stuck with the engine thing, and there was so low visibility. I think had there not been raining, or had it not been raining, they probably just go. It's probably just a long safety car. Yeah. Uh, but with everything that happened, all the visibility and Gasly having the sign and every, everything that went down, I think a smart call to red flag it and bring everybody back in. Yeah. Um, but that definitely changed everything. I think, you know, during this, the safety car wouldn't have really done much because it was right at the beginning. I don't know if that would have shuffled much at the beginning, but nah. uh, having the red flag and potentially having a restart. You know, you get could get a little more chaos with, you know, maybe Charles gets Max's time on the restart or, you know, something happens. But um, I think the that when they decided to delay it because of the red flag, we were like, all right, this will probably take 15, 20 minutes to clean up and they'll be back. And then I know we were watching together as soon as the restart delayed popped up onto the screen. We're like, oh, this is going to be forever now. Yeah, definitely in it for the long haul after that was delayed further uh and yeah just the rain kept coming down and it was it was weird the fact that nobody wanted to be on wets and we found out later why nobody wants to be on wets but uh the decision to go to enters was something that a couple of drivers weren't too happy with and obviously Gasly pitted for some wets afterwards but it's just been that tire that is there for no reason and and nobody ends up using and then you know, it sounds like even when you try to use it and even when the FIA forces you to use it, as was the case on this eventual restart, uh, it's still not the tire to be on. No, yeah, and I think that's what annoys fans is because we have this tire for this exact reason, when it's this wet so we can still race. And the fact that it's not good enough to even, you know, be worth using or the drivers don't use it or the FIA is too scared to even put the drivers out there Mm -hmm. on them, I think that's where people get frustrated because, like, well, then why do we even have a wet tire like let's just have it enter only then and then if it's too wet just delay the race to begin with so i think that's where it's frustrating for people but yeah ultimately on the like you said on when we finally got going again a long time later yeah. uh what felt like an eternity uh we had a rolling restart which i makes sense because it was still super wet uh everyone on the wets this time and i think everyone kind of knew in the back of their heads like oh people are going to start pitting right away for the enters because no one wants to be on the wet tire um, so we saw, you know, Verstappen get away well on that, on that restart. Um, and then Latifi and Vettel kind of immediately pitting, um, which ended up paying off big for both of them as they were at the back at that point and made up enough time on that opening lap before everyone else came into the pits to actually do it, to, to make up place and get into the point. So a big strategy call by them, but 
you know, you weren't ever going to have the leaders pit there because it would have been too risky for someone like Max to go in and try to pit. And then if the inners weren't any faster, just fall way behind. Yeah, it was really interesting because obviously the FIA made it a mandatory wet tire start. And then, you know, the safety car comes in, Max is backing up everybody. And before even crossing that finish line to start that first green flag lap, Latifi and Vettel were coming in. And yeah, like you said, really smart move on their part because it ended up paying off uh, really yeah. quickly. And they were able to to jump essentially the whole field, honestly. They, they jumped up right into the points. And then having that clear track afterwards to, to actually get those into the window was, was a really good call. And yeah. Uh, really paid off for them in the long run and then you know not too many laps later people were seeing their fast laps and I think Vettel ended up setting a fastest lap during that time and so uh, it kind of triggered everybody to come in for the inters and that was really the last we saw the full wets which you know just seemed kind of useless at that point yeah it just was, it just goes back to our point of like you know why do we even have them then because we waited so long to start the race we were forced to do a rolling start with the wets on and we just kept them on for a lap yeah. Maybe two after some drivers. Um, and it did mix up the order a little, but it, in the end, it really didn't make any difference. And we just saw the field kind of spread out because of result of that. Mm-hmm. Um, with Vettel and Latifi kind of being the big winners out of that. Yeah. Um, the other kind of interesting thing to come with this, and I guess worth noting, is that Mick led his first or led for in the F1 race for the first time ever for a very short period of time because he did stay out in the wets and then Max eventually caught him on the interest. But that was wild to see a Haas with Mick Schumacher in the lead with Verstappen chasing him down. But um, like you said, just having that that start where we everyone's on the wets and you're like, all right, this is clearly wet conditions. Like we're going to need the wet tire, forcing all these things, and then everyone just coming in for the enters and being like, nah, it's just not even worth being on the wets. It's, it's always interesting to see, and I think it always brings up the question, like why do we even have the wet tire? Yeah, and we saw a couple of people, you know, teams staying out and uh, Alonzo and Ricardo, and then obviously Mick, like you said, staying out. And we even heard Haas come on the radio and say, you know, Mick, stay out. We're, we're going to wait for hopefully a safety car. And then yeah. obviously that would benefit. But at, you know, when everybody else, when the rest of the field ended up coming out on inters, they were almost five seconds faster than, than those few yeah. drivers. So all three of them lost out really, really bad, honestly, from the start. And yeah. Um, yeah, didn't set them up yeah. for a great race. But after they ended up pitting, we had a pretty pretty settled down race um, after that first chaotic one lap. Uh, not much action afterwards. No. It, it kind of felt like once they settled in, like it, that middle portion of the race, other than until we got to kind of that Perez-Charles uh, battle near the end, and we had a little bit with Ocon and Hamilton too, kind of swapping back and forth. But uh it really what it I almost feel like Monaco in a way because it was like everyone just settled in and like the gaps got to a point where it wasn't a big gap like it wasn't a you know astronomical gap but the gaps were big enough to where like no one could really like get a slipstream and then there was obviously no DRS or anything so everyone just kind of settled into their spot yeah and it just was we just kind of watched the cars go around and single file order basically yeah it was interesting after a start like that you know all these drivers are just thinking i need to make it through the race i need to be able to be there to capitalize on anybody else at dnfs and then that just turned into kind of a yeah single file line going around the track yeah no one no one dnfs then yeah and obviously some some gaps opening up but yeah with no drs we had like you said that battle between hamilton and ocon which was uh, you know they were inches apart hamilton was right on his diffuser and just 
you know, couldn't go outside of the racing line yeah. because it was a little bit too wet and didn't want to do what he did last last weekend in, in Singapore. So yeah. uh, really tough to watch, um, yeah, I think really yeah. the only excitement on track. Yeah, it was a little unfortunate for Hamilton because I think you could see that in the race, the Mercedes had more pace. Mm-hmm. Like he had more pace in Ocon the entire time. But because of the conditions and how wet it was off the racing line, it there was just no way for him to actually get fully past him without completely sliding off the track, probably. And that's kind of what we saw with everybody. And, you know, even at the end there, uh, which we'll get into later, like where Claire got his penalty, like, you know, him and Press battling, like Claire ended up just completely sliding off and going straight on on that last chicane because, like, it was just way too wet off the racing line to make any passes. Yeah. And then a little later down the road, we had Joe pitting for a set of new enters and uh, just a, another life with that. And he was yeah. he was putting in some some super rapid laps and Alonzo ended up following suit and ga- gaining a couple places by the end of the race. But uh, both of them looking really good and a good call from them. I know Joe was pretty far down the order, so, you know, worth, worth the risk. And then yeah. uh, paid off for Alonzo getting to see that data and uh, eventually utilizing it. And then I guess, you know, kind of the big thing, like you said, going into the last lap was obviously the Perez and, and Leclerc battle. But throughout the whole race, the question of Max winning the championship was being talked about a lot and, yeah. and not accurately. Yeah, because I think there's, there's, you know, they I know they changed the rules, I think, a little bit this year in terms of how the points are after what happened at Spa last year. Yeah. And I think we, obviously, the laps fell within, I think it's 53 laps of Japan, so we fell within the 50-75% range. Mm-hmm. And so I think people thought that it would be – I think they, the new rule is 75% of the points would be awarded, um, which in that case, you know, Max wouldn't have won. And then also those confused at the end too because he didn't have fastest lap and Charles at the time was in second, so he technically didn't win then either. Mm-hmm. And so in Max's head between – he's like, well, one of those has to be – one of those will stick. Yeah. So I'm probably not going to be the winner. But then everyone was talking like he was the winner. Uh, but then there was confusion like – you know, I think like the Red Bull team thought he was the winner, but like no one else thought he was the winner, and Max himself didn't. And so it took a while after the race for that Leclerc, you know, penalty to actually come in from the FIA for them to make a decision and then finally say, yes, Max is the winner. Yeah, and it, you know, really unfortunate to be honest because yes, I, I feel like that part of the season is always a super real moment, and you oh, get yeah. to hear just you know pure excitement from the team and from the yeah. driver and. We kind of missed out on that. They had the the post race interviews, and it was a, uh, you know, interviewing or uh, interviewing Verstappen, and literally the first question was, you know, you didn't win the championship, but you ran a great race. How does yeah. that feel? And then, you know, not even five minutes later, they were, oh, we want Verstappen back up here because there's a penalty, and now you're the champion. Yeah. And then they celebrated a little bit, which yeah. is kind of weird. Yes, that, it's just kind of awkward. And I this is I did want to talk about this. I think I do feel really bad for Max in this case. I know yeah. we've shared our thoughts on Red Bull and Max and kind of how we feel about that and how last year ended. I know we have the same view on how last year ended, but this year he was very clearly the best driver all year. Yeah, they had very clearly the best car. They made the most of it. He outdrove everyone this year. Clearly deserved the championship. Yeah, and now in back to back seasons he's had his championship, which have both been for good decided in the steward's room basically yeah and i think you know last year was definitely a totally different version of that but this year i feel bad for him because he should have had that moment where he could have crossed the line and gotten it and they could have had that all together and you know a real like that like you said like that surreal moment of like i won in this race and it's just like 
really awkward because like he didn't win and then he did and then he didn't and then like they ended up celebrating him and it was delayed and like I don't it's everything around it you almost feel bad for him because like he did deserve it and earn it this year and like clearly yeah. was the tra- champion and like clearly deserves this and deserves to celebrate it but like kind of got you know screwed out of that yeah it was a really odd time and and it went back and forth you know they started the interviews without it and then they came back to the interview and said you do have it and then he was in the the driver cool down room and telling Perez that he didn't win it yeah. and then somebody told him that he did and then he ended up going and sitting on the little throne that they had yeah. set up in front of literally just a picture of him that said yeah that, World that was that was maybe one of the funnier things I've ever seen I I get what they were trying to do but like that was like really awkward moment for me. Like yeah. what? Like he's because he was by himself. Like it, it brought vibes to me where it's like, all right, I get what they're trying. Like he's sitting on his throne and stuff, but it just it reminded me of like that LeBron commercial that they had with ESPN where he like had the throne yeah. in his office and they had him sit there. And then, but like it was like a chintzier version of that. I'm like, I get what you guys are doing, but like you could have done something way cooler mm-hmm. than this to celebrate them than just like have him sitting in a big red chair yeah. by himself with a picture behind him yeah especially with like you know being in japan being honda's track exactly being, you know this big red bull spectacle and uh it was kind of it was kind of odd but but obviously at that point you did see him kind of start to grasp that he was champion yeah. which was which was cool and then you know maybe 25 seconds later he got up and said this is lonely and then went back to yeah celebrating with the rest of the crew yeah but, uh, an interesting end to the race, uh, nonetheless. And, uh, I guess we can move into our top drivers of the weekend and Max was mine, obviously yeah. wrapping up the championship. Um, clearly the best today too. Absolutely. Again. Yeah. And having a, the ha- whole weekend, just the whole season really, like we talked about, but yeah, this whole weekend and, you know, in the race itself, like just untouchable. Yeah. And he pulled out a gap from the start in the wet, you know, no slip ups this weekend and, and just looked on it. Um, as he has all season. So uh, really good weekend from him, really good season so far from him, and uh, should be interesting to see what records he can break going yeah. forward. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely think they're going to keep pushing to try to break those records. I think they can still be on pace to do it, and I think it's going to be one of those things where it's going to come down to how much do they actually put into it, um, how risky do they get with it, and how, you know, I could still see them winning the last four races, but, like, the other thoughts has has to creep in is like what do we want to like do we want to start looking at 2023 some like i I don't know because you've wrapped it up by that much and it'll be interesting to see yeah which i'm sure they have you know moved on a little bit too and as we'll get into with uh, a couple other teams that have moved on as well but um yeah i'm sure they'll be bringing their a game and i'm sure max just wants to continue winning races which you know can't fault him for it even though we we probably want some chaos but yeah uh so my next driver was Sergio Perez on the other side of the garage there. And uh, just a good, clean race from him. Um, you know, yeah. qual- qualifying fourth, being able to take advantage of that signs incident. And then at the end, just pushing Charles all the way. There was a time in the race where he got on the radio and asked if his engineer was uh, sleeping or not. And uh, that just kind of shows how locked in he was for so yeah. long and just hunting Charles down and able to do that on the last lap. And uh, instead of, you know, Perez putting a foot wrong it was Charles and yeah and Perez ended up winning out on that and getting to take the second step of the podium along with his teammate so uh, a good weekend from him as well and um, we'll see what he can do the rest of the season too yeah I've been another consistent performance from him it's like we talked about last week it's been good to see him kind of get more on Max's level and I think that's what Red Bull is looking for yeah 
Um, and I think just good in general because it's someone that, you know, we can get, if there is going to be a little chaos, can capitalize. I think you didn't really have that though in the past with, with Red Bull. It's either going to be Max or nobody. But, you know, we've seen Prez win a couple races now and be a consistent podium contender and battle for that, that P2 spot. And it's it's been nice to see. And I do feel like, you know, when push comes to shove, they're always going to prioritize Max. But yeah. I think this year has helped Perez's cause because I think we did see, you know, like we saw in Monaco and we saw in some other places where they didn't try to make it a Max show where they just like let it play out. And they're like, Perez is in first. Like we're going to take advantage of this and like execute with him instead of trying to manipulate his race for the benefit of Max always. Yeah. And there's, there always seems to be, you know, little things here or there where you can tell that it's not a, a full race celebration like it would be if yeah. Max was winning. But uh, definitely Perez is gaining the respect, uh, not that he didn't have it before, but gaining the respect in that Red Bull seat from yeah. the rest of the grid, uh, and expecting him to kind of be able to perform at, at Max's, at, not at fully Max's level, obviously, but, uh, up there, up there and thereabouts. So making it more of a, you know, holistic team fight, which is, yeah. which is good for Red yeah. Bull and, and good for us as fans as well. Uh, and then my last one was, uh, Sebastian Vettel, who, uh, we touched on briefly, but started out in ninth, made a really good call. Uh, unfortunate start, but I think, you know, can't really knock him with visibility down that low. And uh, that is kind of the tough part for a race like this is none of the incidents really were all down to driver error. Yeah. It's, it, it was just such a tough race to to be competitive in. But uh, Vettel made up for it with a great decision to to jump into inters and ended oh, up yeah. sixth with a really good points haul. So a uh, really good race from him and driver of the day as well. Yeah, I think he definitely, you know, had a great weekend, which was, was great to see. I know he loves the track, and they talked about all weekend how great the fans were to him there and how much he loves being there. And that was, you know, I think he even said it was his favorite track and that mm-hmm. they made a comment like, oh, I'd, I'd even come back for a one-off race if I could, like, after I'm retired because I love the track that much. So yeah. it was good to see him finish so high in the points and uh, kind of get that great performance in. And even though he, he had that mishap at the beginning to capitalize on – you know, going on to the inners and making that call was, was big of him. Yeah. Um, the other person that capitalized on these inners, which, uh, was Nicholas Atifi. I have one of my top three drivers of the weekend, which is, I cannot believe I'm saying that. I never thought, I thought I would never thought, obviously, cause this is last year that we'd, I would ever make, say these words that he would be a top three driver of the weekend for me, but terrible qualifying P20. So no, no difference there. We can't really talk about, it, I guess for the whole weekend, but and the five place grid penalty. and the five place grid penalty too. So, it was we're gonna start at the back regardless, but um, for him to come into the race and make the call to go in from twentieth to be like, let's just go ahead and do this, uh, and then he made it stick. You know, I think it's one of those things where it could be someone in, in his case where he gets in the points from doing that, and typically we would see him just fall back in the order and end up finishing last anyways. But or turn down the wrong chicane, or turn down the wrong chicane like he had in practice this weekend. So, but I have to tip the cap to him. He did a great job he held his own in the race and he held in the points and he got two points and got out of 21st in the 20 driver pool so a a, a good race day from Nicholas Tifi I don't I didn't think I'd ever say that yeah just I, I mean obviously able to make that decision which not many drivers did and yeah uh pretty impressive call and obviously glad that he was able to capitalize on it as well yeah um so another Top driver for me this weekend, another kind of funny one. It's, and I, it's not really top because of performance. He finished in 17th. But uh, I have Mick uh, just because he finally got to lead a lap in Formula 1 or lead part of a lap. Um, and, you know, it could have worked out, right? Like if 
if they did gamble and they did get the safety car, it would have probably been a good point to finish for him just because of what how it all shook out. But yeah. you got to respect him for kind of – he was at the back as well. If he saw, you know, with Latifi and them coming in and he just stayed out and, like, I'm going to do the opposite and go long, see if it works. And, you know, he got to battle it out with the eventual two now two-time world champion, Max Verstappen, for the lead. So you can't – we just credit him for that. Can't knock him for trying. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to know if that decision to stay out uh, even for those first couple laps was his or the team's and yeah uh, would be interesting to to kind of see that perspective obviously the team telling him eventually just to stay out because they're too far into the those full wets um, and especially after such a chaotic first yeah. lap you know expecting a safety car is is a reasonable uh, prediction so uh, yeah unfortunate that he wasn't able to capitalize and it, it would be really sad if that was the highlight of his f1 career really like i think it might be obviously some points and stuff but if you have to throw that in a mick youtube highlight video yeah, yeah. that's that's a really I, rough unfortunately look. i think it might we'll get into it later but that's kind of how it's looking right now potentially that how it could shake out so that yeah. could be the peak of his career but and well we should also mention the fact that he absolutely binned it in uh fp1 yes this yeah he did have a terrible fp1 where Gunther came out and it's like he cost us a half a million dollars with this. There yeah. was no need for it. After a um, a race practice start yeah. on, on the lap in, just a really tough way yeah. to to cause an incident like that at a really tough time for yeah. him in his attempt to get a seat for next yeah. year. Yeah. Um so then the final driver I have is Esteban Ocon. Um, you know, a great qualifying, put it in fifth, and then in the race, capitalized on the signs mistake, got up to fourth and held off Hamilton there. Yeah, they would have finished in fourth. Uh, it was a big weekend for him and Alpine to take that lead back from McLaren after last week's disaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know we talked about last week, but you know he made a decent inroad then on Norris for that best of the rest. It's still twenty three points with four races to go, so it's still going to be, you know, he has going to have to get some luck where, you know, McLaren's has some bad weekends and he can get some P five P six finishes to make that gap up and Lando getting no points, but mm-hmm. you know, it's at least possible still. And he kind of got himself back into it with a, with a big 12 points today and uh, for that best rest title. But you know, he just drove clean, drove, drove a good race and was able to keep Hamilton off. So I think definitely deserving of one of my top three drivers. Yeah. I was really impressed with him being able to just soak up the pressure with Hamilton right on his tail. Yeah. Uh, especially in the wet like that with a driver as good as Hamilton is. Uh, so you know, good for him and, and obviously able to stick it up in P5 for in qualifying and then capitalize on that signs as well and, and end up with a good points haul. So really good weekend from him as well. Yeah. So kind of going into our team highlights then, you know, speaking of Alpine, definitely one of the best teams this weekend. Uh, I would say them them and Red Bull had the two best weekends in terms of constructors. So yeah. obviously Red Bull, you had a one-two with Max wrapping up the world championship and them closing in on the record books for driver points and team points in the season. Uh, and then Perez after that penalty and kind of taking Leclerc to the end, getting that P2 as well. So a great weekend from Red Bull. And then for Alpine, like we talked about, just re-catching that ground up and taking the lead by 13 for P4. Uh, in the constructor standings, you had Ocon finishing in fourth and Alonso in seventh. A great weekend from them after what was a disaster last weekend. Um, we didn't really see that much of a disaster from McLaren, at the, at, but it kind of flipped from last weekend where, you know, McLaren only got one point and we saw a huge points haul from Alpine this weekend. So definitely the top two teams and a, a great step for Alpine, I think, going into this final push for that, 
for that piece four spot for the rest of the season. Yeah, and on the point of you know Alpine and McLaren, I think a lot of us expected after such a great qualifying session going into a wet race that Alpine might fall back or or have some mechanical yeah. issues or uh, you know have something happen where the luck just hasn't been on their side and uh, kind of weren't expecting that to continue or were yeah. ex- was expecting that bad luck to continue, but uh, they were able to bring it home and some really good points for them and uh, really help their battle in P4 for sure. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if we want to go into to overtake highest real quick. I know you had had one mainly with George that you wanted to talk about, but overall, you know, I'll just high level somewhere there really wasn't that much in terms of overtakes. Yeah. This, this weekend, it was just a tough race where everything settled in, but yeah, other than the, the race start, you know, where there was actually quite a lot of overtakes, uh, but really just into down to turn one yeah. essentially. But, uh, I think the one highlight was George Russell throughout the race had, uh, two, he had three overtakes total, but two of them he did in a very unconventional, uh, spot through the S's and really was just able to stick it around the outside, find some grip, found a line that nobody else was really taking advantage of. And, uh, was able to make up some spots, so that was pretty pretty cool to see in an otherwise uneventful portion of the race. And then our other one was uh, Sebastian Vettel. Oh, after, yeah. After pitting directly behind Latifi after spinning in the opening lap. Uh, on the restart, he pitted, and uh, they, they kind of got the jump uh, on the Williams garage for uh, stopping for those, for those new tires. Yeah. And, uh, an interesting altercation there. They kind of had an unsafe release, but also was able to overtake. So, uh, you know, kind of a tough look and obviously an investigation yeah. from the stewards, but he was able to make the overtake stick and uh, good job on the Aston Martin team there. Yeah, that was funny to see them coming out of the pit. Like they were legitimately like racing out of the pit lane side by side, which I don't think I've really seen before, which is really interesting. But yeah, one thing I noticed was how wide Suzuka is. As a oh, circuit. yeah. It's so the it, pit lane, the the track itself, everything is like, like that visual. I know we were talking about it, like at the race start, like it's like a six, you could go like six wide in yeah. turn one. Yeah. And obviously, you know, throughout the S's and stuff, it narrows down, but just the look of, you know, with them coming down the pit lane, there was plenty room for them to do yeah. two cars wide in the pit lane. And then, you know, like you said, that race start, I mean, you could have six, maybe seven cars with yeah. a little dry grass or something. Yeah. Uh, but you know, makes for a really good look at the end of things. And, yeah. Uh, also, at the end of the race, we had, I believe, it was Vettel and Alonso coming together, uh, finishing the or coming over the finish line. Oh yeah, essentially was, next to each other. That was pretty. Was, that was a pretty sweet picture too of yeah. them crossing the line, basically right next to each other. But yeah. Um, I guess we'll dive into now our our massive performance of the week for driver and team. So, uh, the team one was pretty easy this week. The driver one was tough because, like we talked about. With the weather and stuff, there really wasn't any major driver errors. It all just came down to, like, if you got in a wet patch and kind of got a little unlucky, there really wasn't anything that, like, anybody drove terribly. You know, we didn't have your typical Latifi performance where he drives into somebody. But yeah. um, So I am proud to announce that Nicholas Latifi was not a nominee this week. Quite the opposite. Quite the opposite, actually, yeah. Uh, so that'll be this will be a first-time a, a first winner for... Uh, driver match performance of the week. We, it's going to Carlos Sainz this week. Uh, the only reasoning behind this is because so high up in the field, kind of high expectations, and just binned it on the first lap. Obviously very wet, crazy conditions, but you know he didn't have an engine failure. He didn't have – it's not like he was side-by-side or made contact with anybody. He just binned it himself. Yeah. Uh, ended up crashing badly and 
right into the wall. And so I think probably the most disappointing Sunday was out of him just as a driver because of the expectations of where he was at and then kind of how the accident actually happened. Yeah, and you know we'll also give an honorable mention to the uh, tractor driver that came yes. out on track for for a brief time period. But uh, yeah, I mean we covered this a little bit already. Just a really unfortunate incident yeah. from signs, and um, you know hopefully nothing like that will happen again. But uh, really tough to see him crash like that, and then how dangerous yeah. of a situation that was afterwards. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then for the team performance, this one was super easy. Uh, I don't know how they haven't won this yet. I guess they've been like just good enough to escape it. Uh, but I think this stat was pretty alarming when I saw after the race that I didn't even realize. But it's going to go to Haas this week. You had Mick in P17, K-Mag in P14. Um, since in the last seven races, uh, Latifi has two points, Alfa Romeo has one point, and Haas has zero points. Yeah. I don't know how I didn't catch that. I guess it's I looked back and what would have been Austria or somewhere around then yeah. in the middle of the season yeah. was the last time they had any points. Um, just a complete disaster of an end of a season here. They're P8 now and will probably get passed by AlphaTauri based on how things are looking if if they get if AlphaTauri manages to get any more points because I don't see how Haas gets any points the rest of the season. Um, what started as a promising season like we've talked about before. You know, with K-Mag getting that P5 to start the season and them looking so good and getting all those points to be in the season, they are on the verge of finishing second to last again or, you know, near the bottom. And it's just kind of completely falling apart and just a disastrous weekend from them. Yeah. Nowhere close, weren't there on pace, weren't there in quality, just just a bad weekend. And after a really good start to the season, you know, we've, we've touched on this a couple of times throughout the season, but... You know, they were looking so good right off the start and got some good points in the first race. And then it's kind of just been a slow decline and obviously haven't had points in a while. Seeing them make strategy decisions that don't pay off is really tough to watch as well. I think a, a pretty clear winner this weekend for massive performance of the week for the team. Yeah, for sure. So I guess going into track thoughts kind of before we get into predictions and, and wrap the show up, the kind of the big thing we wanted to talk about was the, tr- the whole tractor incident. So... uh I'll kind of give a summary and then I'll throw it over to Tyler to kind of give his thoughts on it. But for those of you that didn't watch the race or kind of weren't sure what happened, uh, basically once that safety car got called and then eventually the red flag, um, I think that for some reason the tractor that would come in or some kind of tractor, I don't even really sure what it was. I don't know if it even, they cleared up what the tractor was came completely onto the track, like into the racing line basically. Um, And at first we just saw like a really blurry on onboard footage of Gasly passing it and him yeah. complaining um which was really sad to see that I don't know I don't know how this the FIA allowed this to happen with the cars on the track and then it got worse when it came out that every car passed it yeah a really tough uh incident to watch and obviously back in 2014 we had an incident with Jules Bianchi who is related to Charles Leclerc now and uh, was you know, pretty close with Pierre Gasly as well as they grew up together. And at the same track, we had that incident where Jules went uh, kind of off off track while they were trying to clear another car uh, and lost his life uh, after running into the tractor. So kind of some flashbacks there for a lot of drivers. And, uh, you know, we have an FIA on investigation underway post-race for, for what was going on there. But uh, really tough all around from the FIA and from the marshals. I think, you know, nothing against the marshals for, you know, trying to do their jobs, but obviously a lack of communication between uh, the governing body and and what the decisions were being made on the track. 
Um, we also saw, you know, behind Signs' car, there was marshals that were standing next to the car trying to get it cleared while there were cars going nearly full tilt around the track. Yeah. So just a really tough look overall. And uh, we saw a lot of clips of Gasly not being thrilled uh, with that at all, uh, understandably, obviously. So, you know, I thought that was really tough to watch uh, and hear about, especially with, with how close a lot of these drivers were. Yeah. But uh, one thing that I think it was Sam Collins was saying is that in Japan they have a pretty clear track record of being on the track pretty quickly after an incident yeah. with the marshals. And um, just kind of a weird point yeah. to be brought up. I guess that's not something that you would ever think about, that uh, the marshals would have kind of different tendencies throughout yeah. different parts of the world. but. I guess that's you know something they do there, and it just made it made for a really dangerous situation. Yeah, it's it's and it's interesting. I think that would be their tendency. Like you'd think you'd want to be more cautious and be slow to get on the track to make sure it's clear. Yeah, but yeah, like like you said, I mean, it just can't you just can't have that happen. Like there can't be, I mean, anything anything on the track when there's cars going around like that. But let alone a giant tractor. Yeah, and marshals trying to do whatever with like you just can't you can't have that. And for the fact that everybody passed it too, like. It's not like they had like it's not like Gasly in the pit lane. They're like, oh, we forgot that like he was straggling behind or whatever, and like there was yeah. one car. Like the entire field was still out, going around, and it doesn't matter what speed they were going. Like you can't have a tr- giant track on the racing line. Yeah, and we also had you know the FIA coming out and penalizing Gasly for uh, allegedly speeding under the red flag when uh, it, you know it was just such a close call. I think there was some. Uh, argument to be made about could he see the red flag or was there a little delay on his yeah. on his steering wheel um you know with all the spray you can't see the marshall posts anyway so that was kind of a lost cause to look for yeah uh and he was really coming up on that kind of scene uh so early in the yellow car in the yellow flag red flag yeah kind of time period there so uh, just really tough, and then you know, instead of taking the blame or anything, they they just go and hand out penalties, and obviously probably yeah. going to find him and everything. But uh, we'll see what the investigation comes up with afterwards, if we hear anything about it, um, or you know, hopefully something to be talked about because yeah, a, a lot of the drivers seem pretty upset about that, and that's kind of something that just can't happen again. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we'll go ahead and go into our our predictions for the weekend. So we'll start with pre quali. Um, in I would just preface this with just a kind of a rough weekend of predictions overall. You, you kind of nailed your call I want, but yeah, I just think in terms of as a, as a whole here and then in the race, we didn't really do that great either. No, um, just a very unpredictable weekend from that aspect. But, um, for my pre quality ones, I had both Mercs in the top five and Williams in the Q2. Uh, this is a little bit my own fault because I just watched the first two free practices and then, just assumed that it was going to be wet for the quality because all the talk was how the race was going to be wet and the practices were wet. And so I based everything on that and the Mercs were looking decent. They had the one, two and an FP two. And so I thought, all right, like they should be to get top five out of this. I know it's free practice. So we'll account for that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I thought a little chaos in the wet with qualifying, you'd have one of the Williams sneak into Q2, but it was completely dry. So that was all completely a mute point. Yeah. A little tough. And, and to your credit, you know, Free practice three was at like 11 o'clock or something yeah. for us, uh, PM, obviously. And then, you know, quality wasn't until much earlier in the morning the yeah. next day. So, uh, yeah, tough there. And obviously the conditions changed so much, which changed kind of what was going on and, and how each team was performing. Uh, I went with Max on pole, you know, figure that was pretty 
solid lock there uh, with how he's been performing. And then yeah. obviously with it being dry, uh, just probably made it a little easier for him. And then I said Alpine being the best of the rest. Again, with the dry, I think they were looking really good. And um, McLaren wasn't really on it in, in free no. practice three. Uh, they were looking a lot better throughout the wet. And uh, I'm sure we're probably trying to take advantage of that for the race, but uh, didn't do that one either. So no. Uh, I did get both of those correct. Um, like you said, race predictions, not so much. I went for a Max Signs Hamilton podium. And my thinking there was obviously the wet. Uh, you'll still have Max winning. But with performers like Signs and Hamilton, uh, typically being able to perform pretty well in the wet. And yeah. Then, you know, I was thinking maybe Perez falling down the order a little bit, uh, trying to extend some stints or, or you know, yeah. with them prioritizing a Max p1 finish maybe not able to capitalize on uh the correct like switch over time period there yeah uh, and then hamilton's always so good in the wet so i was thinking he might be able to sneak something up there but uh not as many laps to do so no uh, and also just just kind of a tough yeah. place to to overtake in general uh and then i also went for my other two uh, a dry to wet race with a safety car Obviously got the safety car, um, dry to wet, not so much. It was not very dry at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely <laughs> not wet. Not very dry. And then I went with Alonzo beating Ocon. Uh, figured, you know, Ocon up there with, with some of the big hitters, uh, maybe not being able to keep it on track or, yeah. or keep it. It had DNF fives. In, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then Alonzo was looking really good. So I was thinking he would maybe be able to pull something out, especially with his history at the track. So uh, kind of missed out on both of those and, and the podium was a little bit of a swing and a miss, but, uh, your podium looked a little better. Yeah. So my podium was about the only thing I had this weekend going for me. I had Max Leclerc and Perez, which was the finishing order on track. We ended up having the Leclerc penalty, but pretty accurate with that. And my thinking there was that it was just, I, I just thought I, even though it was going to be wet, I just thought they would pull away and it would just kind of be status quo, kind of like how their actual race settle, like where everybody settles in and, it, you know, we just have a nice little gap between all of them, and that's how the race finished. Um, and then for my actual two predictions, I had Norris ahead of the Alpines. Again, I just thought with it being wet, and after last weekend, the Alpines would have some kind of engine failure or make some kind of mistake, and Norris would capitalize on it. Uh, that didn't happen. And then I had three plus DNFs. Thinking here it was a wet race, just chaos. Um, you know, we had two in the opening lap, and I was like oh that'll be we'll be good for they'll for sure for sure be some more but yeah like we talked about everyone kind of took it so safe the rest of the way that like there really was no instance after that yeah it was weird with such a chaotic start and even seeing gasly go around with you know half a wall on his front yeah. wing uh it was looking pretty promising but yeah no other dnfs after their the race restart and a uh, pretty simple race to the line yeah for sure um in terms of the the standings, kind of going forward the rest of the season, obviously, like we touched on earlier, Max, you know, won the championship and locked that up this weekend. Um, not even really close. It's just this is you know kind of how twenty fourteen through twenty twenty went pretty much every year. But um, you know, clearly the runaway favorite this year was definitely you know better than everybody and drove better and you know really capitalized on the car that Red Bull gave him this year and you know, secures a championship with four races to go with the potential to still break the record for most points in the season and most wins in the season. And, you know, he's at 12 wins now. So, you know, creeping up on that. And then for Red Bull kind of taking that um, constructors too, if they 
obviously locked that up pretty much. I don't think they've actually mathematically locked it up yet, unless I missed that, but um, on the verge of it. And then, you know, Perez takes back P2 and the driver's standings, so they could have a nice little one-two for Red Bull and the driver's standings too. Yeah, um, I, I but, think it's a pretty big point for Perez there to, yeah. to be taking P2 in that driver's standings, just showing that he can, you know, hang up there with the car and the team yeah. that he's got around him. So really good from him. I think the one other thing... Uh, Aston Martin getting a good points haul with uh, Sebastian Vettel finishing six yeah. and kind of obviously extending that lead on Haas and Alfatari below, uh, but also creeping up on Alfa Romeo who haven't had points in quite a few races. So yeah, uh, a good trajectory for them and with Alonso in the car next year should be a, a pretty interesting team to watch. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they bring next year in terms of the car because they have unlimited resources, right? Like yeah. with the owner they have, they have unlimited resources. So it's like, can they capitalize on that? Yeah. And make a competitive car. Yeah, and speaking of you know bringing new things next year, we got a couple of uh, official announcements yep. uh, off track. And uh, the first one, something highly anticipated, uh, the least secretive secret of all time, uh, Gasly leaving the AlphaTauri team and the Red Bull Drivers Program to link up with the French lineup of Ocon and Pierre Gasly at Alpine. So... Uh, a lot of hype around that one. I think it'll be interesting. I know there was a lot of talk a couple weeks ago about how Ocon wanted Mick as his teammate yeah. rather than Gasly because they hadn't been on the best of terms. But it seems like they're both excited about it and, yeah. and trying to step into kind of a new chapter in their lives and, and get through that and have a good lineup. I think it'll be a very spicy relationship between yes. the two next year. I think there could be a lot of drama between the two of them just based on how they are and the personalities they have. Yeah. Uh, I think it's awesome for Gasly. He's kind of taking a step back up in terms of competitiveness for a car and getting in a good car, and I think he's earned that and deserved that. Agreed. Um, it'll be interesting to see kind of how it shakes out next year. I don't know if you have the same thoughts as me, but I think Gasly's going to absolutely dust Ocon next year. Honestly, I, um, I'm, I'm I, a little less so on the gas. I just think there's I, – I know Ocon's have a good year this year, but, like, I just think he's too inconsistent as a driver, and I think Gasly – while he hasn't had as many points this year, he's been in a way worse car. And I think the consistency from him in a way worse car, I think you're going to take that over the points this year because like, they're going to be in the same car next year. But I know people have differing opinions on that because Ocon's definitely taken a big step this year in terms of his performance yeah. compared to the past. So, But regardless of what happens, I do think I agree with you. It will be a, a spicy relationship. I think there's going to be lots of issues and lots of drama between the two of them just because of how they are and because there is no clear like number one driver I don't think you could say I think that's gonna have to be proven so yeah I think there's a lot of expectations for that team and for that lineup next yeah. year so I, I think that will put a lot of pressure on on both of them especially you know you're thinking about Ocon having signed this longer deal with the team and, and being kind of thought of as the number one driver I know he certainly thinks of himself as a future number one driver and uh something that he uh, wants to just take over as a team. And then obviously Gasly's taking that step away from Red Bull, still yeah. wanting to prove himself, prove that he still has what he did when they promoted him to Red Bull. Um, it'll it'll be interesting to yeah. see for sure. And I, I am kind of, you know, I, I think Gasly will outperform Ocon, but I think it'll be pretty close. And I think that's something we've seen yeah. throughout this year too. I, I think a lot of people thought Alonso would absolutely dust Ocon. And yeah. uh, Ocon's really held his own. So, you know, good for him and, and he's starting to take a step up in his career, which is which is also good yeah. to see. So this move in the driver market obviously made way at AlphaTauri for DeVries to step in and them to announce that. And I think 
something that we also saw coming, obviously, with this uh, the rumors going around in the driver market. But, uh, you know, great for DeVries. He'll finally get his chance in Formula yeah. One, and I think uh, a pretty good spot to do so. Another kind of interesting lineup to see how Sonoda will handle that is obviously Sonoda will be a more experienced but younger driver than DeVries, and yeah. it, it should be uh, kind of interesting. I think a lot of people are expecting DeVries to win that that kind of driver battle. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see. I think, you know, good for DeVries. I think he was on the edge, and we had kind of talked about will he ever actually get in, but that performance in Mons, I think, earned him that. And Absolutely. I think it'll be exciting. Like I said, it's an exciting lineup, and I think that's more of a one where people are kind of unsure what could happen. I think people would tend to lean DeVries there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, with Sonoda being the one in, in the car the past couple of years, and DeVries, you know, just being informed that he is, there is a big difference there, and it's, it's going to be a, definitely an adjustment for DeVries, you know, coming into that. But I definitely think it's an exciting lineup. It's it's a new face in Formula 1, which I think is good. It's always good to see. So, you know, happy for DeVries. I think he definitely earned it this year Yeah, with that for, performance in Monza. For sure. That performance was unbelievable, and uh, glad it's finally paying off for him. And then lastly, we have uh, not really an announcement or anything, but Daniel Ricciardo officially coming out and saying he's not really looking for seats next year anymore. Not that there are really any more to fill um, that he would be happy with. So he's moving his sights toward 2024. And uh, I don't know about your opinions on this, but I'm not thrilled with that decision for him to take uh, a little bit of a sabbatical here. I don't think it's going to pay off for him. No. Especially with how long a lot of the contracts are, uh, how satisfied a lot of the top teams are. I don't think, unless he's going to be willing to do you know what Valdery Bottas has done this past year and kind of mentor a younger driver at, at a bottom team yeah I don't think he's going to be able to find uh, a better seat or a seat that is even on par with what he's in now no I mean the only seat you're gonna the only seat, two seats you have left now this year for you know you guys listening is the Haas one you know that's kind of between Mick and Hulkenberg at this point and the Williams one which is there seems to be leaning sergeant but mm-hmm. obviously has to finish high enough in F2 this year, and then if not, I think they're leaning Mick as potentially the other person for that seat. But, yeah. you know, he's kind of on the out now for this year. Um, and I agree. I think I think he should, if he's not going to be on the gray, which is not looking like it, like try to get a reserve driver role somewhere just to stay within the sport. But I think it's going to be tough regardless at this point, you know, that he's backing off. And, you know, with the, how long the contracts are and stuff, you're just going to have maybe, maybe a Haas or a Williams seat open up in the future, and that's probably about it. Yeah. Uh, the only one other one I could maybe think of is Aston Martin when Alonso retires in a couple of years, but that would be a couple of years probably. Yeah. Based on the contract he signed. So, yeah, because of these contract lengths and just kind of where the top teams are and looking at the entire driver field, I don't know where he sneaks back in. So I th- think this probably could be the end. Yeah. Of of Formula One for him, unfortunately. Yeah, it is really unfortunate, and I think you know it'll be interesting to see what team would be interested in him. As a reserve driver, I know yeah. we've, we've talked about Mercedes, but having seen his last two seasons be just incredibly poor and not being able yeah. to to learn the new car or handle the new car or drive it yeah. well, uh, it, it's kind of a tough kind of sight to then put him as a reserve driver and hope that he'll be able to help you improve your car throughout a season. So I, I think it, it's uh, tough for him, tough for other teams looking for him, obviously tough for a lot of his fans as there are very many. And then, you know, he's kind of going to be sitting on the sidelines for what could be his prime years right now yeah. in, in racing in general. So I think, you know, I would think his best move would be a move to IndyCar or yeah. uh, 
maybe Formula E if that's something he'd be interested in. But uh, I know he has a lot of interest in America, and I think IndyCar would be I agree. great for him. Yeah, I think staying in a single-seater, like getting in a race still and like prove himself and something else. And, you know, if he can, if he does go to something like IndyCar, you know, if he can adapt and do well, proving like, hey, I can't adapt. Like, this is just a fluke these last couple of years. Like, yeah. I just wasn't able to adjust to McLaren specifically. Um, but yeah, I definitely agree with the with how much he loves the United States and how much he loves being here and racing here. Like, I think that would be probably the most exciting move. And I think would be big for both sides, right? Like for exposure for him here, it'd be big. And then exposure for IndyCar as a sport, it would yeah. be big time because you're getting a big face and a big name to come into the sport and you're going to get eyeballs basically then at that point. And I don't think there's as many people that would rally around him or rally for him to get another seat in Formula One as as there would be uh, from a, a Formula One fan perspective yeah. for him moving to IndyCar. I think that would draw so many more viewers to IndyCar just yeah. to be interested in, in how he's doing. And uh, I think that would mesh well, but it doesn't sound like that's something that he's interested in looking at right now. Yeah, it doesn't seem like he's interested in really doing anything other than Formula One yeah. at the moment. Um, we went on the other paddock rumors uh, and kind of off-track notes here. We uh, had a little bit of stuff come out about the uh, budget cap. Uh, you know, for you guys listening, uh, you'll be hearing this on Tuesday. It's currently Sunday, so... We're not going to get the you know drop this week on terms of what comes out on Monday from the FAA. I know they delayed the decision to Monday to kind of release more information on that. But the initial thing that came out was kind of funny. Uh, the fact that Red Bull overspent by, I don't know the exact amount, but they overspent on sandwiches and like stuff like that, which is, I mean, that's 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 a little fishy, right? Like that's just such a... How are you overspending that much on on like being that specific too with like a re, I don't know it's it'd be interesting to see what comes out tomorrow but like just initial thoughts on it like it's kind of funny and it's also like all right that's a little suspect that they're overspending on sandwiches yeah I mean hearing about it initially is just hilarious but there there's so much difference in what you hear from from different sources obviously yeah. Red Bull themselves are trying to say it's sandwiches or maybe not you know not refreshments Red Bull right like but yeah they're trying to come out and say it's it's that and it's yeah. you know under a million dollars when other sources are saying it's it's nearly $10 million yeah. and it's on, you know, developmental things. So we will be interesting to see what they say. I don't think the FIA are going to come out and tell us anything specific, uh, and I don't think it'll be a penalty worth noting, to be honest. I think it might no, be. No, I think, yeah, I mean, I think it'll be a fine of some kind where they're going to have to, yeah. or, they, or they'll lose that, lose some money, but, or at worst, at absolute worst, they make them, I don't know, not participate in a couple races this year, but what does that matter? They have both the championships wrapped up anyway, so mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be inconsequential in the end, but yeah, it is absolutely hilarious that they, the first thing that came out of Red Bull was like, I mean, it was just sandwiches, like it was just snacks and stuff that we overspent on. Yeah, definitely a weird thing to come out of that, but we'll keep an eye on it and keep you posted as well. Uh, lastly, for Paddock Rumors and our off-track happenings, we had uh, just that kind of the... the the holistic confusion of the points rule. I oh mean, yeah. Was, no one had any idea. And it was a very agreed understanding that it was going to be, Oh, you know, there's not a full race lap, but like distance, it's going to be this 25%, 50%, whatever it's yeah. going to be. Uh, and then, you know, we finish the race and it turns out it's just, Oh, full. We'll full just get points. full for this one. Yeah. Yeah. So I, th- like I thought you talked about earlier, I think it should have fallen under, they've gotten more specific with it this year because of, how it happened at Sposter, I think it probably should have fallen under like like 75% point range. But then they basically said, because it didn't finish under a red flag, 
that'd be full points and they did cross over half distance so it'd be full points so a little weird but yeah it's I think it's gonna be interesting to see how this gets enforced going forward because they did just set it's just a simple rule it's like a yes or no rule like mm-hmm. there's these there's this race distance is this points this race distance is this points and I, the confusion for everybody where it wasn't like there was like one side said this and one side said the other like the fans the drivers the team principals the teams themselves the stewards like the people in f1 tv yeah. the commentators everyone thought differently about it and no one knew the answer yeah until way after the race and it ended up like we talked about kind of messing up the celebrations and you know ended up being a a discredit to Verstappen in a way because it's like he didn't get to enjoy all that how he should have but yeah it all the confusion around it just made no sense to me how no one knew about what was going to happen even though there was clear set rules for it yeah and I guess in the end of the day it provided more clarity going forward which is nice um, one other thing that I will say uh, that we mentioned earlier is kind of that investigation into, you know, what was going on with the FIA decision to have a tractor out there and, uh, what was going on with, with the marshals on there. So we'll keep an eye out for that as well. Yeah. I would assume that might be a little lengthier of an investigation and, yeah. uh, probably a little more internal with the drivers as well. So we'll see about that, but let's go ahead and jump into our funny happenings and, uh, something we already mentioned was Latifi moving to P20 in a 20-driver championship, finally digging himself out of that extra driver hole that he was in for so long. Yeah, that's, I mean, we make all the jokes and stuff about Latifi, but you know, at least he moved himself out of that. He's still on tied with DeVries on point, but because DeVries only has one race, he's going to be ahead of him. Um, but it's it's so funny that it took till four races left for him to finally you know really dig us dig himself out and finish actually p20 in the standings um you know it's it's one of those things where he like we talked about it's he definitely is due to leave formula one and is going to leave formula one but i think him them making this big of a deal about him moving up to p20 in the 20 driver standings with four races to go kind of tells you everything you need to know yeah kind of tough for him to to yeah have to dig himself out of a hole like that but you know he was able to do it and uh you know props to him for this weekend two kind of similar things we had some fans obviously the fans at suzuka were incredible and we saw some, oh yeah you know the hats were unbelievable the full and, race suits and, yeah we yeah. saw some some sebastian vettels and some yuki sonodas out in the crowd as well which was pretty funny but specifically we had two uh, instances one where Gunther was proposed to by a lady in the crowd with a sign asking him to marry him and yeah I thought it was uh, especially funny because they then panned to Gunther who had clearly seen it and yeah. was just laughing to himself on the pit wall so uh, that was a pretty funny moment and then the other one was during the race when uh, they they went over to the fans and uh, an individual was in Ferrari gear and had a sign asking to apply as a strategist which yeah. was just right on cue, you know. Good. So fitting. Yeah, definitely. And so fitting. For a team that's been struggling with that all year, definitely something that a lot of fans enjoyed to see. Yeah. Uh, and then going into the last one we have here, uh, Matteo Bonotto kind of came out after the race. That I didn't. I guess I, I realized it, but didn't realize at the time that he just wasn't even at Japan, uh, which is a little weird because he's, you know, team principal. He's the head of kind of the head figure of Ferrari. Uh, and he said he probably won't be at most of the races the rest of the year. Uh, so they can focus on 2023, which is, this is just so Ferrari. I get what he's trying to do is like, I'm going to lock in on 2023, but like there's still races left this year. Like I don't, you're not going to see any other team principals, like just not show up. I don't think to the races. Um, it's 
I don't know. I feel like if that's part of your job is like being there for that and like let the people in the factory and the people behind the scenes start working on the car for next year. Um, also technology exists where you don't need to be in person for stuff like that. But, yeah. um, it's just kind of funny coming from him where, you know, this whole season has kind of been like, they've always talked like, you know, we're not messing up. We're not messing up strategy. Like we're focused, we're locked in. We're still fighting for the championship. Like that's not our goal this year, all that stuff. And then to kind of be like, now that Max wrapped it up, be like, eh, yeah, we're going to go ahead and call it and f- focus on next year. Now, like, we don't really care about the rest of this year. It's just kind of funny. Yeah, I think this is something that Christian Horner can can kind of learn from, actually, the yeah. fact that he doesn't have to be at the track. Because then, you know, this whole budget cap scenario wouldn't be the case because they would be saving a lot on expenses and sandwiches especially. Yes, so, that's a good point. Yeah, they yeah. would be saving a lot. Of, I w- you got to wonder where were they getting those sandwiches from. That they were so expensive. There, well, I don't know if you saw the clip online of uh, Charles handing uh, signs half of his sandwich on the plane, yes, and, yeah. and they were splitting that, making poking some fun at Red Bull, yes. which was pretty funny. But uh, yeah, Bonato not being there. I mean, um, obviously, probably doesn't have to be there to run no. the race, and uh, maybe there's something to be said with the uh, lack of bad decision making this race and, it would be and his absence it would but. be really funny if they just like swept one two like these last four races and just had awesome strategy it would be really yeah, funny that would be great <laughs> um but that's pretty much wraps everything for for japan i know you know overall thoughts is that it just was a very disappointing race it was probably the most disappointing race this season just because of the hype that went into it and then we just didn't really get much out of it and only got 28 laps and i don't know just definitely more disappointing than i thought it was going to be but you know, we're moving on to, to the United States next week, uh, moving on to Austin. So I know it's it's going to be exciting, I think, for everybody here. I think we're going to probably break the record for attendance again this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're going to make – I think it's probably going to be – I know Miami, they made a big deal about this year and did a lot for it in terms of outside of the race and the weekend leading up just in terms of, like, TV coverage and stuff. Yeah. Um, I have a feeling just based on how we're gaining popularity here with the sport in America that, like, it's going to be a whole weekend affair where – there's going to be a lot of stuff on it. It's going to be talked about a lot and stuff, which is good to see. But I don't know if you have any initial thoughts going into two weeks from now, I guess it would be. Yeah, I think the most exciting thing for me personally might be just seeing how much Daniel Ricardo can enjoy his last Austin yes. race. Uh, he has merch coming out, I know. He does yeah. have a merch line coming out. but Hopefully not his, his last Austin race. Yeah. But uh, to what looks like his last Austin race, uh, it should be pretty fun to watch him and his antics throughout the weekend. I mean, yeah, and for you, just when they do the overhead shot of the entire thing and you get the snip of the karting track in there, you know, know, for those who don't know, Tyler is a first place holder uh, at the karting track with a 1.8 second gap to the second guy during his time in Austin. Free practice session, uh, you know, with maybe 10 drivers on the track. Well, yeah, but you just, you know, you gotta, the conditions are what the conditions are. Like you you, you play who you play and like, there's nothing you do about it. So you look hard enough. I might be in the rafters. You might. Yeah. You might see a Tyler Miller and sign hanging on the side of the track Balaclava. There. I heard they're actually going to, yeah, <laughs> I heard they're going to, I heard they're actually going to rename the track after you. There'd be a, a mural painted on the wall right by it. Yeah. Turn one. Actually the hill leading up to turn one. Yeah. They're going to paint that with mm-hmm. a face with your face on it. Full portrait. With their, yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, but it should be an exciting weekend. Definitely. I think everything around it is going to be, is going to be good for the sport and good for it in America. I think they're going to make a big deal out of it, which as they should. And, uh, for us, in terms of watching it, we're gonna get a uh, what would be a prime time F one race. No, it's not at night, but like yeah. three o'clock in the afternoon or whatever it is. It's gonna time. be a reasonable time for every everything that happens that weekend, and should be a fun time. 
yeah, definitely excited for it, and we'll see you after that race. Yep, we're off to Austin.